stand as we read from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Here is today's sermon. The kingdom of God has come. It is at hand. It is among us. And just like a seed that is planted into the ground and is nourished and watered and grows and bears fruit, so the kingdom is growing and increasing every single day all around us. And in the midst of that, there is a war that is much more real, much more serious going on all around us. It is happening in the spiritual realm where the forces of light and the forces of darkness are waging war for souls. And therefore, in light of that reality and the kingdom of God among us, we ought to shape our lives appropriately. Amen? We ought to live in light of that reality. The kingdom of God at hand and the war happening as his kingdom increases until he comes back fully. Now maybe you uh, grew up in church and have heard like a, this theme, the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard it in prayers. You know, maybe many of you have a, a relatively decent concept, an idea of what the kingdom of God is. Maybe it's completely new to you. And so what I want to start off with is discussing you know, what actually is the kingdom. Before I do that, what I want you to understand is that when you see this New Testament, you don't see the phrase kingdom of God in the Old Testament, although you're going to see all kinds of themes. When, when all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand, there's something that you need to realize. First of all, since there's no definition after his words, he doesn't say the kingdom of God is here and here's what the kingdom is. In fact, in all of the New Testament, you're not going to find an explicit definition of the kingdom of God, which implies that the hearers, those who are hearing this from Jesus, would have understood essentially what Jesus was talking about. The second thing you need to understand is that since there is no real definition, uh, we ought to be careful to give one. <laughs> it's like, you know, there is a sense of mystery in many things of God. And one of the things that we need to just submit to the kingdom of God is we don't really fully realize it or conceive of it or observe it or experience it today. We don't want to pigeonhole what the kingdom of God is and giving some lackluster definition. And so I want to be careful. The closest thing we get to a definition, uh, the closest thing to a definition we get in the New Testament is when Jesus in the parable says something like this, the kingdom of God is like blank. And then he explains through a parable what the kingdom of God is like. But we will have a working definition for our sake that I believe is faithful to scholarship and theology and the overall testimony of the word of God. And so our working definition this morning of the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is the already present, say already present, not yet fully, say not yet fully, not yet fully, not yet fully realized, observed, experienced realm of God's sovereign rule, but not just his authority, his rule, his power, specifically revealed through the love of God in Christ. That's what we see in the New Testament. In Mark alone, you see language of the kingdom of God 14 different times. 
Throughout the Bible, you might see it as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the Lord. And I mentioned there's no explicit you know, usage of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, but you do have this binding together of the Old Testament and the New Testament in the story of God, which reveals this idea of God's sovereign rule. And in the Old Testament, you find kingdom themes are found in passages that refer to like the king of Israel or the covenant or the spirit or Israel being restored or the Gentiles coming in or the enemies of God being defeated, or the temple being restored. All of this is kingdom language. It's part of the story that makes sense so that when Jesus comes on the scene, he says the kingdom of God is at hand, the time is now here, repent and believe. People are thinking, oh man, the king just showed up, the kingdom is about to be restored, and all that is broken is about to be reversed, and Jesus is going to now conquer his enemies and establish his rule and his reign on the earth. That's what people are expecting. Today, some people reduce this idea of the kingdom of God to like a present subjective realm among us. Some people talk about the kingdom of God being the inward power of the spirit that's at work in our hearts. Others define it as like this distant future heavenly spiritual reality and order. Others might equate the kingdom of God to the visible church on earth. Some refer to it as, you know, the way human beings are making the world a better place. And while certainly all these are aspects of the kingdom, the kingdom is not simply social ethics or the future glories of heaven or the church or God's sovereignty or God's power. It's much larger. And so to help you think about that, think about, uh, you know, how we would define God. If I were to say to you, you know, Brother Howard, who is God? And, you know, Howard might say, well, God is holy. And everyone would say, amen. And then Matt would be like, yeah, hold on. The Bible also says God is love. And we would say, amen. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Mike would be like, God is just. And we would say, amen. And then Wanda would say, yeah, but he's also merciful. And we would say, yes. And we could go on and on and on. The Bible reveals all of these realities about who God is, his character. And yet, if we were to separate any of those attributes and characteristics from who God is, it would be less than God. Do you understand? And so it's similar with the kingdom of God. You've got to think of it. Pastor Mike talks about like this constellation. You know, There are all these different stars and attributes that make up who God is the same in the kingdom. The kingdom is not less than the power and rule of God. It's not less than the visible church on earth. It's not less than acts of mercy and healing and restoration of broken things on earth. But it is certainly a whole lot more. The kingdom of God well, involves power and people and a rule and social ethics and healings and righteousness isn't simply one of those things, it's the totality of all of it. And here's what you need to know about the kingdom of God. We can experience portions of that in powerful ways throughout all of our life. You've seen that all throughout history, and one day we will experience it perfectly and fully. And so Jesus comes and starts a new chapter in the history of God's redemptive plan. He ushers in, in the kingdom in a powerful way as the king of kings and begins to show in the pages that follow in this biography of, Mark, or of Jesus in Mark what it looks like to be a part of that kingdom and just who this king is and how he acts. So there's aspects of you know, the kingdom definition that we just want to make very clear. Throughout history, 
the kingdom of God is expressed and realized in different ways. As you read the Old Testament into the New Testament, even the day we're in today. It does eventually culminate and peak at the redemption of all creation where Jesus will rule fully and perfectly in power and all glory among us on a new earth. It does include God's reign, God's people, and God's place all throughout history and into the future. But I want to focus this morning on this already not yet reality of the kingdom. Because God intends for you to feel that tension of the already not yet in the context of the kingdom. That tension is actually how you should, in essence, order your life. And what you need to understand is that when things happen that seem like Christ is not ruling, he is ruling. And when things are happening around you that you're wondering what's going on, those are like birth pains and tremors that are meant to cause you to reorient your thinking and your way of living and reprioritize your affections and your time and your money. It's meant to reshape you, reground you, bring you back to this reality of your life isn't about building your kingdom, but rather living in the kingdom of God. And I'll remind you, we, we don't build God's kingdom. He gives it. And so living in the kingdom is simply submitting to his sovereign rule and following the way of Jesus that we see here in the Gospels. So the, the kingdom of God is already present among us. Let's look at some scripture that talks about that. You obviously see this in Mark 1.15 where Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Galatians 4 talks about when the fullness of time had come, Christ appeared. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is now. Here it is. I have come. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and he says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in fact, Jesus, in the Spirit of God, the power of God, did indeed cast out demons. And what is Jesus saying? I'm ushering in the kingdom. And this is a perfect example of God redeeming and defeating the darkness and evil of the devil. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, the Pharisees are asking Jesus, when, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. That's why we say it's not yet fully realized, observed, fully known, fully appreciated, fully experienced. Nor are people going to say, look, here's the kingdom of God, or there, there's the kingdom of God. Rather, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the kingdom of God, make no mistake, has come. It is indeed among us. In fact, next week we're going to see explicitly the kind of power and rule that just Jesus ushers in with this kingdom. How his presence is going to advance this conflict of righteousness with evil. And how his miracles and his power over the demonic world are going to establish the presence and triumph of God's kingdom over the kingdom of Satan. Amen. And how in Jesus the kingdom of God is going to invade the present evil world and establish a present, spiritual, powerful reign in those who will accept him as their savior. It's among us. It's here. We can see it all around. We feel the tension. And yet, we would also say and totally agree with this, yeah, it's not yet fully realized. Look at how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God to come fully. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 21 through 24, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundation of the world. And what, what is it? This is, a, this is a futuristic understanding of the kingdom of God that will fully come. And what does Jesus teach us how to pray? And how does Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew 6? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer of, Lord, bring the fullness of your kingdom. In Revelation chapter 11, we see that when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, the loud voices in heaven are going to say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What's the implication there? It hasn't yet been fully realized or experienced. If you look at the agricultural parables, Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God is a growing thing. This is how I started the sermon this morning. It's planted by Jesus, and it grows by sometimes invisible divine activity. Look at what Jesus says in Math or Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The man sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sinkle because the harvest has come. And so the kingdom is growing. Jesus is reaching the nations. Darkness is being defeated. There is a war going on all around us for souls. And we ought to respond to that, as Jesus says here, with repentance and believing, faith in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, hope in the kingdom to come in its fullness. But in Mark, we see that his biography of Jesus isn't making the whole theme about the kingdom, but rather about the king. For in fact, there is no kingdom without the king. And it is the king himself, King Jesus, who shows us what the kingdom is how it ought to reorient our lives and how we ought to live accordingly. You know, the title of our series is The Servant King. It's explicit in Mark's biography that this Jesus has come and brought in his kingdom in a way that is so foreign to how we understand kings and kingdoms on this earth. Certainly how we've experienced in history, certainly what we're seeing today in our world. Jesus is a different kind of king, and aren't you grateful? Philip Bethencourt, a pastor theologian, says, Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus purposes the kingdom. Jesus declares the kingdom. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. He deploys the kingdom. He transforms our idea of the kingdom. He purchases the kingdom. He concludes with the kingdom, and he returns with the kingdom. And what you're going to see in the life of Jesus in the pages ahead of this biography is this unfolding hope of redemption for all human rebellion. And you're going to see a renewal for the broken creation and how it finds its expression and fulfillment in Jesus Christ come in the flesh. This king has come to make all things new. The biblical description of the kingdom highlighting God's people, his place and its power has its complete final resolution in Jesus, the King. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is the King, Mark tells us. It comes to the mouth of Jesus that he's reigning over his creation, but we see immediately in the pages ahead that this world is still marred by sin. You know, we've seen all throughout the pages of history. We see it throughout the, you know, 
the pages and seasons of our own life that God's kingship, even by ourselves, often is resisted. Pastor Mike alluded to that last week. We often resist this lordship, this headship of Jesus. And so God's reign is a redemptive one that is overcoming our rebellion, restoring us and bringing us into right relationship with him and then sending us out to do the very same thing. His kingdom is not the culmination of human potential and effort and merit. It's the intervention of his majestic, beautiful, royal, radical grace that is broken into a sinful and needy world. Here's the glorious reality of this king. Jesus' kingship is not like human kingships. Jesus came as king not to be served by his people, but to serve his people. He is the servant king. How does Jesus win people? How does he win influence? It's not through coercive power. It's through suffering service. And we enter the kingdom of Christ not through our strength, our merit, our work, our righteousness, but through humility and weakness of repentance, new birth, placing our faith and our trust in Christ alone. Jesus, as our sovereign ruler, fulfills his kingship not in domination, but in the way of a servant. I mean, you really just think about it for a moment. The sovereign creator of the world who is making all things new, who's going to right every wrong, who's going to remove all evil, all sin, all wickedness, is going to defeat the devil, came to serve you. Isn't that amazing? He came to lay down his life for you. He didn't come in demanding his rights, pointing out every failure and wrong thing in your heart and life and why you're undeserving. He comes, Philippians 2, humbles himself, doesn't grasp at what he owns and lays down his life so that we can be brought into his kingdom. Jesus is a servant king. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And the coming of the kingdom as you're going to see in the pages ahead, finds its climax at the cross. Jesus is king, but his throne is a cross. So one major thing that I want you to notice, and specifically, I, I want you to live in a way that you understand and believe this, that the coming of God's kingdom does not result in the immediate removal and abolition of the existing world order. This was the mistake of the Jews. They expected this Messiah to come and rule and reign and dominate and establish his kingdom in a very powerful way by removing all evil immediately, coming with the sword and judgment. And yet Jesus' first coming was one of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And in the same way, we can be tempted today when we experience all kinds of, you know, stirrings around us and brokenness and wars and prejudice and division we can sometimes be like all right jesus come and just rock us all make it all right and we need to go wait a second jesus has invited us along the way of the suffering servant to go and announce to people the good news of the kingdom of god and all those who would repent and turn from their sin and trust in the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father, will have eternal life. In John 3, Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And there's explicit commissions, you see this in 
the letters of Peter, you see it in Acts 1.8, that we are to witness and testify to this kingdom. We are to shout out to the world that Jesus is king and his kingdom is not of this world. And yet he is ushering in his presence and his power and his influence and his reign into this world in such a way that people can be saved from sin. With the hope amidst all suffering of this world that one day it will all be made right. And so, brothers and sisters, one of the biggest takeaways for you today is this. The reality that the kingdom of God has come. The reality that the kingdom of God is growing around you. The reality that there is a spiritual war happening all around you. The reality that one day Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead and he will bring in the fullness of his kingdom ought to literally change your life. I don't mean an act of conversion. I mean, it should at least do that. That's the first step. What I'm saying is your life, if you live in the kingdom, has to look different from the kingdoms of this world. You're not American first. You're not a, whatever your job is first. You're not a doctor first. You're not a mom first. You're not an educator first. Your priorities in this life aren't first and foremost to have a home and a car and pay bills and get your kids educated and find a good college and store up money in your savings account. Literally, we've had this conversation this last week. You know, the, the world is kind of on its toes going, what's about to happen? And we're all kind of like, if this thing goes crazy, guess what? All of our lives change like that. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. That a war on earth, which is no shock and terrible and horrible, and Lord have mercy, I've cried about it. I'm pleading, Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Restore it as right. Be with those people who are hurting. Amen. There's a much more serious war. And why, why would a war that brings temporary death cause us to reshape and reorient our lives when the Bible's saying there is a spiritual war that brings eternal death. Therefore, how, you, how, how should you live, brothers and sisters? And one of the dangers, one of the dangers of living in such a rich and blessed country like America is that we're numb to those realities. I mean, the devil works so hard, please understand, in your life to make you comfortable and to justify how you spend your time and your money and how you look at all others and the needs around you. And we get just kind of used to suppressing truth and grieving the spirit and quenching the spirit around us. Jesus' words, the kingdom of God is among you, ought to radically reorient your lives, reshape your affections, reprioritize everything about who you are and how you live. I want to give you an illustration from scripture last week pastor mike talked about how heaven is running parallel to earth it's not some distant far off thought you know we think of like you know you die you go to heaven and it's like this far out reality actually just so you know the bible teaches you know when you die your soul is present with the lord but you don't you're not running golden streets yet people's souls are waiting for their new bodies and when Christ comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first and he will give new bodies and then we will receive new glorified bodies and we will live with him and walk with him and rule on the earth. But right now, it's, I mean, what does Roman 8 say? Even creation is groaning. Lord Jesus, come, restore us. Souls who have gone before us are longing in the same way for Christ to come back and restore all things. 
So last week, Pastor Mike talks about this heaven running parallel to earth. Heaven is not far off. It's right among us. There's a spiritual reality and realm right here. And you see glimpses of it breaking through in Scripture. If you're familiar with the theological term theophanies, like an Old Testament appearance of God, I believe Christ. You see it in the burning bush. You see it Jacob wrestling with the Lord. There are these times where you see in Scripture a peek into the heavenly realm all around us. We saw it in the baptism. The sky rips open. The Spirit descends like a dove. The Father speaks. And all of a sudden, this spiritual peril of the heavenly realm around us is glorious. You see it at the birth of Jesus when a whole heavenly host, the army of God, floods the sky and announces good news of great joy. You know, the importance of understanding the, the uh, compatibility between the kingdom of God among us and the spiritual realm is the kingdom of God that is growing is at war with the kingdom of the devil. And you see that most specifically in the spiritual realm fighting around us. And I'm just trying to awaken our minds to that reality. You see this actually in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, if you're not familiar with it, is one of the most incredible stories in Scripture. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants about how he's going to go and attack Israel. He says, at such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God here, who is Elisha, who was not in that council, the man of God sends word to the king of Israel, saying, beware that do you not pass this place, because the Syrians are going down there. And so the king of Israel, basically Elisha goes to Israel, he's revealed the plans of the king of Syria to destroy them. He goes to Israel, he's like, hey, here's the plans, don't do this. And so the king of Israel sent to the place about which Elisha told him that he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Now watch what happens. The mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. So he calls his servants. He's upset. You know, who, who ratted out my plan? He calls his servants to him and says, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Which one of you people were a traitor and went and told the king of Israel what I was going to do? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> Amazing. And he said, Go get this guy. Go see where he is, and I may send and seize him. It was told him, Elisha is in Dothan. And so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city to get Elisha. And when the servant of Elisha, the servant of the man of God, rose early in the morning, he goes out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant says to Elisha, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? Elisha says, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. That he may see what? So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What's happening here? Elisha is able to see into the spiritual realm. And when the servant of Elisha says, we're about to be destroyed, what in the world are we going to do? Elisha says, Lord, just give him quick eyesight. 
to see what's really happening. And surrounding the army of Syria is the army of the Lord. Why do I say that this morning in the context of the kingdom of God? Because all around us, brothers and sisters, is a spiritual realm that is very, very, very real. And here's how good the Lord is. You are a wanderer. <laughs> Amen? You sing the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for like courts above. And so what the Lord does is he's building his kingdom and defeating darkness is every now and then in your life, constantly, sometimes, the Lord allows tremors and birth pains to happen among us of wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and natural disasters and division and political upheaval and prejudice and racism and all these things raise the top that are warning us, hey, there's a much bigger thing happening here. It's meant to awaken us from being numb to spiritual realities. You know, I would say, you know, this last week as I've been thinking about what's happening in the news, I've been immediately asking myself, Lord, what does it mean for me to repent today? What does it mean for me to keep believing? I'm, I, you've got my attention. You've got my attention. I'm reminded once again the world is broken, how fragile life is and how quickly things can change. You could come back tomorrow. Oh, Lord Jesus, what am I doing? Now, Peter says, in light of the return of the Lord, what kind of lives, or Paul says this, what kind of lives ought you to live? That's what I want to be thinking constantly. That's what the kingdom is saying. The, the proclamation from Jesus that the kingdom of God is at hand is meant you to go, oh, oh my goodness, the kingdom of God is among me. There's a spiritual war happening. Therefore, how... How should I respond? How should I live? And what does Jesus say in our passage? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question this morning. Don't you actually feel the tension in your soul? Don't you feel it? Not just in the things that are happening around us, but the things that are happening in us. Don't you sense the kingdom of God trying to break through in deeper ways into your life? Don't you sense it when you're gathered together as Christians like we are today and you sing a song about death is coming, hell is moving? Can we bear to let them go? In that moment, don't you feel the tension in your heart? Weren't you thinking of children that were wandering and rebelling against the Lord when you sang that lyric? I was. And in that moment, aren't you thinking, oh Lord, I need to do more. Oh Lord, work in mighty, marvelous ways. Don't you sense his kingdom trying to break through and how you prioritize your time and conviction of I'm doing this, but I could be doing that and I'm not, I'm not talking some kind of you know, legalistic approach to not enjoying life and the good gifts of God, but my goodness, folks, with the kingdom of God at hand, shouldn't that reaffect your priorities? Shouldn't that reorient and reshape the way you spend your money and your time and your investment relationships? Don't you sense the empathy growing in you when you see those around you who are hurting and are in need? And all I want to ask you today is to not quench 
those rumblings of the Spirit in your life. To live in such a way that you realize and acknowledge the kingdom of God is at hand. Be aware that there are spiritual forces all around you vying for your allegiance. And if you are in Christ and the devil knows he can't have you, he just wants to make you as ineffective and miserable as possible. And so fight it. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at the life and ministry and example of Jesus, of what it means to live in the kingdom along the way of Christ. Right now, I want to ask that you would bow your heads. Jesus says the kingdom of God is among us. Here's the good news, the proclamation, the gospel. Christ has come. He saves. He redeems. The kingdom is growing. And he says, repent and believe. And maybe there's someone here today that has never turned from their old life, never acknowledged their sin, never placed their faith and their trust in Christ. And today, I'm just pleading with you. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Turn to him. Live for the kingdom and follow Christ along the way. And those of you who belong to Christ, what's the reminder? Keep repenting. Keep believing. Keep trusting Jesus. Every time there's a rumbling around you, let it reorient your life to live according to the kingdom. All the things that we throw ourselves into today that are eternally insignificant. Even the great and good and glorious things of this life that God has blessed us with. Oh, church, brothers and sisters, enjoy them with a kingdom mindset. Bow your heads and ask the Lord, even now, that he would search you and know you and try you, examine your thoughts, your priorities, your affections, and ask him to reveal any wicked way and to lead you in the way everlasting.